right, well, I'm glad to see everybody. And last week I took Wednesday off. I came back from the pastor's conference, and so it's a nice time of refreshing. I did want to do some housekeeping before we get started, uh, in case I forget later, because that's how I roll. Tomorrow there is a prayer meeting here. Reggie will be here 6.30. I'm looking at them for affirmation. Six? Six, like I said. I always get that time right. So 6 o'clock tomorrow there will be a prayer meeting here. And then in two weeks, so the last week of September, uh, several of us are going to be going down to Peru to meet with Calvary Bible Institute and Calvary Chapel Trujillo and to go to their international uh, missionary and missions conference and church planning conference. I don't even know what they are labeling that thing, but they are bringing in all these different people to help train local missionaries and pastors to plant their, uh, plant their own churches, as God calls them. So we're excited to go down there. If you want to be a part of that, because I don't believe in social media, that stuff's nonsense. Let, let the communists have that. So just make sure everybody's awake this evening. <laughs> so if you, want to, if you want to track us on that, we're going to be on WhatsApp. And so you get with David over there in the blue shirt in the middle. He's going to put his hand up right now. That's him. He doesn't know this is happening to him. You're going to get him his phone number, your phone number, and then you're going to download the WhatsApp. And then we will put you on a chat. Now, that chat is only, you're only able to see everything. So only David and Zach and I are going to be able to post pictures or post what we're doing or track people, and you'll be able to follow us as we're doing that. That's for our friends, coworkers, loved ones, and then obviously everybody here at the fellowship. So it'll be an opportunity. And you can, you know, put likes and hearts and all that kind of nonsense that they have on there. But at least you'll be able to track what we're doing over there. And then what the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Low Country is supporting down there, and you get to see it. Um, where is it going? What are we doing? What are we talking about these guys? Zach has been there. He knows these guys. He talks to me like they're his best friends. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. Who's he again? But we're going to go and we're going to meet them, and then we'll introduce them to you guys as well. So I'm, I am encouraging people to get connected on that. It's also a great way that you can share what we're doing here at our church, too. So it's open to everyone. David's over there. You can find him. This evening, we're going to be in Judges chapter 18. In Judges chapter 18, if you'll recall, a couple weeks ago, before Reggie was teaching, we had a man named Micah, not the prophet. This man, Micah, was in the nation of Israel. He's in the north, and he is not following the rules and the laws that God had laid down with the Ten Commandments and with Moses and had ordained and revealed. He was making it up as he went along. Why go all the way down to the tabernacle at Shiloh if you could just have your own household idols and just have your own ephod and just make your own equipment? And, hey, by the way, a Levite was walking down the street, and he kicked his own son to the curb because he had made him a priest. And then he took this Levite, and he said, you'll be my priest, and you'll live with me, and I'll, I'll pay you a yearly wage for a laborer. And the Bible tells us here in the chapter 17 that every man is doing what is right in their own time. I mean, this is a spiritually devoid times. They're not in unison. They don't have an identity as a nation. God is supposed to be leading that nation. They don't have a king. They don't have a government, just local autonomy. But nobody is seeking after God. Nobody's following after him. Spiritually, a dark, dark time. And now we're going to pray, and then we're going to pick up in chapter 18, right where we left off with Micah. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray that you would continue to teach us and direct us. And even the darkest portions of Scripture, Lord, there's so much to learn. And then it also, Lord, 
I love how you show us that you are in all places at all time. Nothing shocks you. There's nothing new to you. There's nothing that we have done, Lord, that you don't know about. And yet you still love us and care about us and cherish us through your son. And so we lift this evening up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 18, let's read verses 1 through 6 together. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtiol, to spy out the land and search it. They said to them, Go, search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. While they were, in the house, they were at the house of Micah, they re- recognized the voice of the young Levite. They turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? He said to them, Thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. So they said to him, Please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we will go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The presence of the Lord will be with you on your way. So this Levi, he had come up from the south, and Micah, he's living in the far north. And the Danites, they haven't claimed their inheritance. So just to backtrack and to build a little background, Remember that when the children of Israel came into the promised land and crossed the Jordan, they had to fight for years in the book of Joshua to get their tribal lands, the regions that God had promised. But they didn't fulfill that in its entirety. Remember, they made deals with people they weren't supposed to make deals with. They compromised with people they weren't supposed to compromise with. And they never fully conquered that land. Well, the tribe of Dan is one of the prime offenders of the people that just didn't finish the job. And so instead of taking the land that God told them, they'd rather go farther away and find some easier land to to take. And that's what they're doing here. And so you have five men, these men of valor. That always means they're the toughest, strongest guys. And this is going to be the recon team. And they're going so far to the north that they find Micah where he lives. And they're asking him about the land they're going. And they hear this accent, at least that's my opinion, because scholars are split here. When it says they knew this Levite by his voice, some think they personally knew him. The scripture doesn't say, and so I think that's a bit of a stretch. To me, I think they heard his accent. Like, what are you doing here? Like, if you hear um, a California surfer, for example, I mean, like the real California surfer, like, hey, dude, what's up, bro? How's the swell? You are going to pick that up if you're here in South Carolina. No, I'm not doing any other accents for you. (laughs) Don't get excited. But if you hear somebody from Kentucky or you hear somebody that's from Boston and you hear them uh, with a really thick accent and they're not where they belong, where they belong, you immediately pick up on it. That's my opinion, that this Levite has a southern Israel tribal accent and they're way up in the north and they're like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? And then they start asking all these questions. How'd you get here? Why are you living here? What's going on? So, these five guys from the tribe of Dan, being disobedient from a tribe that's been disobedient, going to the north in a guy's house who's being disobedient with a Levite who's being disobedient, and they have this conversation, and the Levite just regurgitates all of it. When it says, thus and so, in the New King James, it's like saying, 
He told them the whole story. They, they're summarizing it. And then what do they say to him? Hey, can you inquire to God if our journey is going to be successful? None of this is supposed to add up. You know, I know I'm from California public school, but three plus three is not supposed to equal seven in any school. I know things are changing. <laughs> but they have all these people, and they're asking all these questions, and they're seeking God in all the wrong ways, and they're just not listening to anything that he says or anything that he's written or any of the miracles he's done. They're not going to the tabernacle. They're not going to the priest. They're not doing any of it, but they still want God's approval. They still want God to bless the journey. They still want to know if he's going to bless them or not. And there's a couple different sides of this that we need to look at for ourselves. Number one, are they ignorant? Do they just not know? I have asked God plenty of really dumb things over the years. I've given this example before, but it's been a while. Some of you are new. I remember when Megan and I bought our first new car. And I remember we were driving to the car lot. And I, was, I remember I was praying, Lord, if you could make a way for us to be able to afford a vehicle, that would be great. And then I'll know your hand is in here. Here's the problem. The car salesman is going to make a way for you to get a vehicle. And I'm like, oh, this is God's hand all over it. I got the keys <laughs> at 20% interest on a vehicle with a ridiculous ridiculous I had no credit you know we were just starting we're like 19 20 years old or something I don't remember I got this fancy new car ridiculous payment and interest rates that would make a tax collector blush and I thought wow God's really blessing this no I've been so dis being disobedient what does the scripture say a borrower is a slave to the lender to be frugal and be wise to put away for winter to prepare your field before you prepare your house all this wisdom if I had just opened the book and read it my point is, are these guys the same way as I was? Like just ignorant? They just didn't know? Or are they just in so much compromise they don't care? Oh, well, God just loves us. He'll just, he'll just do it the way that we ask. And we know in our society, it's both, isn't it? On the one hand, it's just biblical ignorance, just not knowing God's laws and his history, the things he's done, the way he's revealed himself. And then there's a spiritual pride on the other side. Like, well, it doesn't matter. He loves everybody no matter what. It's all going to be fine. We'll just, add, we'll just do things our way, and we'll see if it works out. We're going to come back to this and these two options and what that means at the end of this chapter. And the other thing that I want to point out here is just the absolute historical spiritual confusion in the nation of Israel at this time. Between entering into the Promised Land and the time of the Judges, all the way, in my opinion, until King David arrives. I mean, you have Samuel, you have good prophets, you have a great working of God in different times, but Saul is not a good king. At least he's not after God's own heart, even though God uses him. All the way until King David and Solomon, when you see the nation united in worship. And then after that, the kingdom splits right away. I love how the Lord doesn't have rosy glasses. He, he doesn't paint things and make things look like they're better than they actually are. He meets us right where we're at. From spiritual, spiritually speaking, we come from a messed up spiritual family. You know, Calvary Chapel itself, if you go online, there's a lot of dirt out there because we come from a messed up spiritual family. The Protestant church at large, we come from a messed up spiritual family. The faith 
We come from a messed up spiritual family. The nation of Israel, messed up. The 12 apostles, those guys were messed up. The prophets, you look all the way back. And I'm just so grateful because just like Zach was praying in, his grace, it all is based and surrounded on the grace of God. That being said, we come to him the way he wants us to come to him, not the way that we want to. It's just sad. This is just a sad time period. Have you ever been in a period like that in your life? I know I have. You're just doing things wrong. You're seeking things wrong. You, just, you have misconceptions. Some of it's pride and some of it's ignorance. I'm so grateful that he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us because of his goodness. Now let's read verses 7 through 13. So the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. Then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtiel, and the brethren said to them, What is your report? So they said, Arise, let us go up against them. For we have seen the land, and indeed it is very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter to possess the land. When you go, you will come to secure people and a large land. For God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. Verse 11. And 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from, there, from Zorah and Eshtil, armed with weapons of war. They went up and encamped at Kirjath-Jerim in Judah. Therefore, the, they call this place Mahana-Dan to this day. There it is, west of Kirjath-Jerim. And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. How do you think it's going to go, these 600 guys showing up to the house of Micah? Well, first off, what in the world is going on here? There is a colony of Sidonians. That's a different tribe and a different people. They're detached from the Sidonian people. So that's when it says there, there's no one there. There's no general, no captain, no mayor who's going to gather an army to defend this city. It's too far out, and it's easy for the picking. And these people, they're peaceful. They're just farming. They're just raising their families. And the Danites look at them and go, we want that. We're going to take it. And so they gather their 600 men and their weapons of war after they talk to each other. And they just said, this is just so easy. This is like taking candy from a baby. And they're going to march way out of their land, way out of their own tribal area, where they should have taken their land. And God did tell them to take it. And they were evil people there. Remember, they were sacrificing their own children to the God of Molech there. We have archaeological evidence showing us that. And God's judgment would have been on those people, but they didn't want to do it. Instead, they wanted to go attack the innocent Sidonians outside of the tribal areas where the Danites would be. And then what just hateful thing do you see? Oh, God will definitely bless us now. It's just so sad. We can look into our own modern history and see this. The German army in World War II had God is with us written on their uniforms in multiple places. As they went into towns and burned people in synagogues, as they killed innocent civilians and reprisals against German shoulders being sought, and on and on and on. And the whole time they're thinking, many of them, a few of them, I don't know, but it's on their uniforms. Oh, God is for us. God is for us. 
You can slap that sticker on whatever you want. It doesn't mean that God is actually for you. And just because the Danites are going to win this battle, if you even call it that, doesn't mean that God was blessing them or that he was for this. But that's what they claimed. And we do the same thing too, unfortunately. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But first, I want to come back to these 600 men in the mountains of Ephraim, and they show up to the house of Micah. Now, Micah had let those five guys in there. They, they know where he is. They know he's nice. The Danites, they show up. How's that conversation going to go? Let's see. Let's read verses 14 through 21. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laish answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. So they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. The 600 men armed with their weapons of war, who were the children of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. Then the five, hundred, excuse me, then the five men who had gone to spy out the land went up, entered there. They took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. When these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, and the household idols, and the molded image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? Now catch this. This is really good. Excuse me, verse 19. And they said to him, be quiet, put your hand over your mouth, and come with us. Be a father and priest to us. It is better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to the tribe and family in Israel. So the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod, the household idols, the carved image, and took his place among the people. Verse 21, Then they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock and the goods, in front of them. Micah got robbed. Micah got robbed of everything. These five guys who had lit into his house, and he talked to them, and the Levite had talked to them, they leave the 600 men there, because these are not good people. They come in, they rob everything out of there, and they take his household idols, they take his ephod, everything. You know how much money he put into this? And then the priest, he was paying a yearly salary. And this is when it really gets good, because the priest is like, hey, what are you doing here? And I wish I, wish I could be there. I wish I could watch this like a sitcom. These five guys are just ransacking the place. And he's just like, what, what? What are you doing? What's going on here? And when they say, put your hand over your mouth, that is a saying in this time period of, you better be quiet or we'll kill you. Or put your hands up or sit down and be quiet. This is just a command of violence. Like if you say anything, you're going to be taken out back. And then they look at him and they're like, hey, why don't you come with us? Why don't you come be our priest? And he just kind of smiles like, oh, a big time priest. All right, let's go. And he's out. This is, this is so incredibly sad. Micah has spent a fortune trying to have these things built and made and to make his house this spiritual place. The problem is it's all in the wrong things. Your, your God is not a real God if it can get robbed, stolen, broken. But we do this. 
And I will tell you something even more fearful. Christians can do this. If you worship this church more than the Lord, this church could close tomorrow. If you are following one pastor or one leader, I've heard people say, oh, I only listen to so-and-so on the radio, or I only listen, I only read such-and-such. You're out of your mind. You know, I have been in the faith long enough now to see people raised up and to see them fall and see people graduate into the kingdom and be like, wow, that's spectacular. And other people like, oh my gosh, that's, that's terrible. We are, we are all fallen, broken people. The ministry, they're just organizations. They're just stuff. But the true and living God, to be connected to the creator of the universe, to be filled with the spirit, to have a connection to him, that can't be broken, that can't be robbed, that can't be stolen. It will stand the test. And a lot of times you'll hear me say that as we teach a sermon about a particular saying or a particular viewpoint, and I'll say, it doesn't pass the test. What is the test? The test is the ultimate test of all things. It's time. Time tests all things. And if that viewpoint, if it's successful, when I'm looking at someone, or they're looking at me because one day my day is going to be coming, and it's their last breath, and I can sit there and minister to them or they can minister to me. That's the test, if something's real or not. That, that big-time pastor, he's not coming to you. He's not going to come pray with you. He's not going to seek you out. He's not going to ask you your dying breath. He's not going to fill your will. He's not going to pray with your loved ones. He's not going to cry with your family. What is it? You have to see past it. doesn't mean that those guys are bad. You have to hear the God that they're preaching. You have to hear his word. That passes the test. Stop building idols for yourself where you start finding these comfortable things. I'm going to challenge you even a little bit more. If you come into this building and you sit in the exact same seat every single time, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't find security in comfort. One day, I'm going to change the chairs in here, and you're all going to complain, and I don't care. <laughs> Not one bit. And some people are just going to chuckle, and some people are going to get really mad. And they're going to find Mike Russo, and he's going to laugh at them. <laughs> Listen, we do this to ourselves. We start whittling things for comfort. It's not real. It doesn't pass the test. Another thing I want to point out. People are not always what they seem. I don't know about you. I've been robbed before. And they scope out your house first. They get close to you. They know who you are. You, tr you build trust with them. Most of the time, it's not a stranger that does it. And that's what happens here. These guys had built trust, and it was all built on lies. None of it was real because it didn't pass the test. This friendship didn't pass the test. Their values didn't pass the test. Last one, and we're going to keep going. The pastor, quote, unquote, the false priest, he doesn't pass the test. Why? He's a hireling. He's just there for money. He came and he was like, hey, I'm going to give you a, a year's wage, a regular year's wage if you are my priest. Oh, great, no problem. A big crowd shows up. Instead of defending his house and defending his, quote, church and defending his, quote, family, he's like, oh, great, promotion, let's go. There's nothing real there. Listen, there's nothing real in this house. In the house of Micah, there is nothing real. It's a false god. It's a false family. It's a false relationship. But the day before this test comes, he thinks he has it all. Don't be like that. Have something real. 
that pass the test. This test, they fail. Don't worry, it gets worse. Let's read verses 22 through 31 now. And we're going to bring this thing home together. So verse 22, when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan. So they turned around and said to Micah, what ails you that you have gathered such a company? So he said, you have taken away my gods, which I have made and the priest and you have gone away. Now, what more do I have? How can you say to me what ails you? I want you to highlight that verse 24. There's a highlighted. And the children of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. So they took the things Micah had made, and the priest who had belonged to him, and went to Laish, to the people, quiet and secure, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon. And they had no ties with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. So they built the city and dwelt there, and they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born in Israel. However, the name of, his formal, of the city was formerly Laish. Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, Gershom and the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up themselves Micah's carved image that he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So... We'll work backwards. Shiloh's a city. It's in the middle of Israel. That's where the tabernacle is until David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and then Solomon builds the temple. Until that time, the tabernacle's at Shiloh. We're going to see that when we're in um, Samuel, especially. But what has happened? We're working backwards now. Dan is goes up to the north. They conquer this peaceable people, the Sidonians. They, they just they get rid of them. It's, it's sad. And then they make the city of Dan. And then throughout the New Testament in the Bible, you'll hear this phrase, from Dan to Bathsheba. It's from the far north to the far south. Dan is the furthest most biggest city. And it is always going to be problems. The farther north you go, the more problems there are. Working backwards, we see that Dan took Micah's household idols, and the idolatry was firmly established in the north. And that's going to stay, it says here, as long as the tabernacle is at Shiloh, it's going to go even farther until their captivity. The nation is going to be split into two, Israel in the, in the north and Judah in the south later on. And Israel is always going to be known for its idolatry until they're taken captive by the Assyrians you'll remember that. I know it's a lot of history for some of you. Some of you love it. Some of you are rolling your eyes in the back of your head. I get it. But let's keep moving backwards. Micah, after, before Dan takes that city, he's chasing after them because all his livelihood is gone. Everything he believes in is gone. He's been robbed. So he and a band of guys chase 600 men of war. They're like, hey, guys, give us our ball back. Hey, guys, guys, no, for real. 
And I told you to highlight it in verse 24. You have taken away my gods which I made and the priest, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have? And I ask you, if everything's taken away from you, everything, no, not just your money, your relationships, your family, your, your, everything's gone. Your house is gone. Your company's gone. Your business is gone. It's just you. You're stripped down to nothing. What do you have? For some of us, you know, as tragic as that is, as terrifying as that is, even a guy like Job in the Bible, you'll still be all right because you have God. You have a relationship with your, your creator. You can start over. You're never going to be the same. I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to be skipping down the halls, but you'll still be who you are. And some of you have peace with that because you have peace with God. Some of us, your life is over. You're, you're at the top of a bridge and you're looking down thinking this is it. And I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way. There's something deeper that we can have in our personal relationship with God and knowing who we are. What about your health? If your health is gone, you know, for me, like I, I have to work out. If I don't work out, I don't feel right. But right now, I'm kind of messed up. I heard a couple things because, you know, I'm ignorant. I don't stretch very much. But I'm still okay because of my personal relationship with God. I'll get those things back if He wills them to be back. But for some of us, we have these individual idols in our life, whether it's your health, your business, your money, your family, your relationships, your nationalities, what political party you're a part of, what certain ideologies about certain things. That shouldn't identify who you are. It should be deeper than that. I, I want to laugh and I want to cry for Micah here. You've taken my gods. And then look at it when it says when he figures out there's nothing he could do about it, he'll die. It says he turned and he went back to his house. I will tell you, as a man, this is a fate worse than death. Like, if it's that important, I'm not going back home. You know, if you've got my kids, you're going to find a different side of me. I am not walking back home and giving up. I don't care how many people there are. But for him, like, at the very end, he lost his dignity. He lost, his, he lost everything because it was all placed in the wrong spot in the wrong place. Don't let that be with you. I had a quote from Guzik. I didn't put it up, but I did write it down. He said, we either, we each either worship a God of our own making or we worship the true God who made us. But the gods we make are always less than we are. Idol worship is just another way of worshiping self. You know, being at peace with yourself and having an understanding of who God made you and why is different from being self-seeking and seeking yourself and glorifying yourself. That's different. And I loved how he, he connected that to the idolatry. Because when we are making idols, whether they're literal, little statues, you're whittling something into your own image, or whether it's spiritual, just something that you're over-identifying with, you are creating it instead of being endowed by your creator and growing in what he has for you. Well, with that, we're going to close. We're going to be in chapter 19. We've got new people to follow. 
only a few chapters left in the book of Judges. And then I know some of the ladies are excited to be in Ruth. I know some of the guys are excited to be in the book of Ruth a couple chapters from now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would lead us tonight in prayer as we intercede one for another. Those that are hurting, those that are sick, uh, those that are in authority for the peace of Jerusalem. All these things that you ask us to pray about and to pray earnestly about. You tell us that we're to seek you out in prayer and to pray for one another and carry each other's burdens, Lord. And so we pray that your spirit would encourage us to do that one at a time and loud enough that we can all hear this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.